the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. I can die now because my eyes have beheld the salvation of Israel, and not only Israel, but all people. He makes mention there in verse 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Notice that. Jesus came among his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. He was born Jewish among a Jewish race of people, but Jesus did not come solely for the Jews. He came for all people. The story of Simeon meeting the baby Jesus is a beautiful picture of God's kindness. Simeon longed to see the Messiah, the Savior of the world, and God graciously allowed that interaction to take place. Today, Pastor Gary will share this tender moment with you, and you'll get to see how it blessed not only Jesus, but Mary and Joseph as well. Simeon gave them a taste of what Jesus would do in his life, and how all people, and God means all, would be forever transformed by Him. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. These particular shepherds are living in the fields near Bethlehem because Bethlehem was the place where lambs were bred and raised as sacrifices for the temple in Jerusalem. Bethlehem, about five miles south of Jerusalem, was the place where lambs were born, bred, born and raised for the purpose of being sacrifices in the temple. Do you see here the parallel? That Jesus, the Lamb, who would take away the sins of the world, would be born in Bethlehem and would himself become a sacrifice for our sins in about 32 years in the same location on the Temple Mount. No coincidence. And so verse 9 says, an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Here the shepherds are, you know, it's just, it's at night. They're probably kicking back and it's had a long day and they got the remote in their hand. And now... Of all things, what's going to happen? An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I bet they were. King James Bible says, sore afraid. Not sore and afraid, just sore afraid. Verse 10 says that the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, not a select few, all the people today in the town of David, there's going, to be th- there's going to be three words used here to describe Jesus. A Savior, that's one, has been born to you. He is Christ, that's two, the Lord, that's three. 
The angel is specifically announcing that the one who was born here is Savior, Christ, and Lord. He will save people from their sins. He is Christ. It is the word that means the anointed one or Messiah. And he is Lord. And there is none like him in all the earth in heaven above or on the earth below, that he is Savior, Christ, and Lord. And then here the angel says in verse 12, this will be a sign to you, saying to the shepherds, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, that's not unusual, and lying in a manger, that's unusual. That's going to be the sign. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men, on whom his favor rests. So here's one angel announcing all of this. After the angel announces this, then it says a great company of the heavenly host. How many is this? Thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of angels just lighting up the night sky. Oh, you know, that kind of a thing. The real kind of, oh, I mean, what a moment this is. And here are the shepherds just seeing all this, just lit up the night sky. And it says in verse 15, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. Again, of all people that God might choose to be the first spokespersons for his grand entrance into the world, you'd think he might choose somebody besides shepherds. But again, no. The reason is because God wants us to understand that he came for all, and he stooped the lowest so that he could reach all mankind, that he is no respecter of persons, that he's come for the educated and uneducated, he's come for the rich and poor, he's he's come for male and female, black and white, he's come for every single race, he's come for every single people group. He's come for everyone. He died for all to rescue and save all. He didn't come for a select few, for a certain group. He came for all. And of all people that he would choose to announce himself to. I mean, you know, if you've had kids, you're pretty particular who you send birth announcements to, aren't you? You want to make sure that you got that beautiful little picture on your little birth announcement. You want that little baby picture. Terry and I didn't do birth announcement pictures, you know. First of all, when kids are born, Look, as a pastor, I have visited a lot of babies. Let me tell you, they're beautiful in the eye of the beholder, okay? All our kids were beautiful. Not so much your kids. You know what I'm saying? Now, to you, of course, they are. Actually, when I've told this story before. When Tyler was born, our firstborn, he was born, and his head was pointed. I mean, he had a cone head. Now, I didn't know that this was actually normal, for, especially for firstborns, because the head is all soft. It's like Play-Doh, okay? But, and so, you know, you're not to be alarmed. I was terrified, and Terry had no idea what's going on. And she's like, is he beautiful? I'm, yeah, he's beautiful, yeah. You know, I'm looking down at him, and I'm thinking, can I mold that back to normal? I don't, I don't know what I'm supposed to do here. I mean, it, it just, it seriously looked like a pylon. He could have been on the road. It was orange, and it was terrible. Now, he's, he's a good-looking guy today, and, he's, and everything worked out fine. And I actually whispered to the nurse. She's doing the APGAR test on him, and I'm whispering to the nurse, is this normal? She goes, what normal? I said, his head kind of looks like the end of a pencil. That's what. And she goes, oh, yeah, happens all the time. Look, we just put a little hat on him, and it'll be normal in no time. 
Man, for hours, I kept peeking under that hat. I kept like, let me make sure this is actually gonna go down. It did, but I wouldn't let Terry pull that hat back for anything. No, you don't need to pull that hat back. Just look at that little baby. Just nurse that little baby. You don't need to pull that hat back. Don't pull the hat back. You don't want to see what's under the hat. Oh, the birth announcement. Yeah, right, right, right. Okay, so we didn't send out birth announcements. We didn't want to take pictures of our kids anyway, but they're all beautiful now. But anyhow, here God comes into the world and the first people he's going to send a birth announcement to by angels are shepherds of all people. But he does it specifically and intentionally here because he wants to reach all and he came for all. And it says in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. She's kind of a thinker. You're going to see that verse repeated in verse 51. She's just, she kind of, she's processing all of this, you know, what, and, and this is, just an incredible moment, not just the fact that she's given birth, but she's given birth to the Son of God. I mean, this is a lot to take in. So she's treasuring all these things in her heart. Verse 20 says that the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Verse 21, on the eighth day, when it was the time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been Conceived. Now, this was according to Jewish law. Uh, males were circumcised on the eighth day, so they were particular about this. We know now, I mentioned this, I think, last week because it talked about the circumcision of John the Baptist, that uh, we know now that vitamin K is released in the bloodstream on the eighth day. Uh, vitamin K is necessary for clotting. It's a blood clotting agent and that is naturally dispersed on the eighth day. In conjunction with that, you know, God in his infinite wisdom, this is the eighth day when you're going to circumcise boys, and this is when Jesus is named. Now, Jesus, again, is a Greek transliteration because the New Testament is written in Greek. So Jesus is a, is, is a name in English that is a Greek transliterated word. But his Hebrew given name was Yahashua, often abbreviated as Yeshua. He was not called Jesus in his house. He was called Yeshua in his house because it was Hebrew. And that means the Lord is salvation. That's true to his name, and his name was given in advance. Well, reading on, it says, When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Notice here it talks about the time of purification. In Leviticus 12, it tells us that a woman was considered unclean after she gave birth. There was a period of purification. There was a time when she couldn't go into the temple, and it was 40 days for a boy. If she gave birth to a boy, it was 40 days. And so we're moving here pretty rapidly in in Jesus' life. We're going from his birth to he's eight days old. Now he's 40 days old. And this is a separate scene here. He's circumcised on the eighth day, but now on the 40th day, they're going to present him at the temple for dedication. And they have to wait until her time of purification is over, and uh, they bring a sacrifice. Uh, and, and the text tells us that they, they bring uh, some pigeons, and that indicates that they are pretty poor, because you could bring either a lamb... Or you could bring birds, the, the Old Testament scriptures allowed for, but you'd only bring birds if you were poor. Now, remember, the magi or the wise men don't show up until Jesus is about two years of age. When you look at the chronological events of things, when they get the gold, frankincense, and myrrh as the gifts from the magi, from the wise men, 
Now they have a little bit of means, but they have not yet been visited by, by the Magi. So they don't have the gold yet. So they're poor. And they're going with uh, two young pigeons here. They're going with some, some birds to sacrifice instead of a lamb. And, and while they're there in the temple, notice they're going to meet a man. Verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Let me just read down a little bit, and we'll come back. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him, took Jesus in his arms, and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And then Simon blessed them, the parents, and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own, your own soul too." Okay, so your attention. Joseph and Mary, they're they're taking Jesus to present him for dedication. He's 40 days old, and they're going to run into two people. Here's the first of two people. This guy's name is Simeon. His name in Hebrew translates God hears. And he is a man who hears God, and God hears him because he's a devout man. The text tells us that he's righteous, he's God-fearing, and he is filled with the Holy Spirit here. Because he perceives by the Spirit something important is going on. He goes into the temple. He's moved by the Spirit. He's going to prophesy by the Spirit. He's going to begin to speak over the life of Jesus as a baby here. And he's going to turn to Joseph and Mary. And he's going to speak over Mary's life as well in particular. And, uh, and part of what he says here again, he, he talks about it's indented between verses 29 and 32. And he, and he basically says, and he's praying and kind of prophesying all the same time. And he says, God, I can die now. Because my eyes have beheld the salvation of Israel, and not only Israel, but all people. He makes mention there in verse 31, which you have prepared in the sight of all people. He says, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Notice that. Jesus came among his own, the Jews, and his own received him not. He was born Jewish among a Jewish race of people, but Jesus did not come solely for the Jews. He came for all people. He chose a particular race of people through whom to be revealed, but he came and died for all people, including Gentiles, Gentiles and Jews. He came for all. And then he, Simeon turns to Mary and he says, this child in verse 34 is destined to cause the falling and rising of many and be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. He talks about how the Lord will save some and others will fall because they will not believe in who he is. And this very kind of penetrating, painful statement he says to Mary, and by the way, your own soul is going to get pierced too because she's going to be in her own hour of grief as she beholds her own son dying on a cross for the sins of the world. Well, here's the second person, verse 36. There was also prophetess Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, 
and then was a widow until she was 84. Some of your Bibles have a footnote that says she was 84 years a widow, which would make her very old. And NIV makes it look like she's 84 years old now. Um, Either way, she's up there. And it says that she never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anna, her name here, her name in Hebrew means grace. It's a beautiful name. And she's also a prophetess, and she's just in the temple there. That's her home now. She's been a widow for a long time. She's at least 84 years of age, and she's just praying and fasting, and very godly woman here. Again, she also sees Jesus, and she gives thanks to God. She speaks about the child. doesn't tell us exactly what she says here, but she prophesies over his life as well. Now, you got to be, you know, if you're Joseph and Mary at this point, you're like, pretty awestruck. You know, you're, you're carrying Jesus through the temple and you have these people coming up and they're praying over you and prophesying over you. And, and it says here in verse 39 that when Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth and the child grew. He's, here's his age going to advance here. The child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. Let's just finish out the chapter. If, from that verse right there until verse 41, there is a 10-year gap in your Bibles. For, from the end of verse 40 to verse 41, there is a, about a 10-year gap because now we're going to see Jesus in the temple and he's 12 years old. And Luke is the only of the Gospels, he's the only one that writes about this scene here with Jesus at the temple when he's 12. Otherwise, we know nothing about the life of Jesus between being an infant and being an adult at the beginning of his public ministry at about the age of 30. The Bible is silent about the years between when he's an infant until he's 30, except for this one scene here in Luke's gospel when Jesus was 12. And this is what it says. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Now, I'll I'll tell you how they're unaware of it, but let's just read through it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. And then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me? He asked. First time Jesus speaks in the Bible. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house, or King James says, had to be about my father's business, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. And then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother, here's that verse again, his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She's very contemplative. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So they lose Jesus, okay? They lose him for three days. How can you lose a child like this? How can you lose him for that long? I'm convinced after this, that's when somebody invented those leash for children, which are ridiculous. If you have one of those leashes for kids that you see in the malls where people are taking their kids around like they're a dog, get rid of the leashes. Oh my goodness, that looks so terrible. But anyway, how can they lose Jesus like this? 
Here's how it happened, though, in this particular scene. When you went to Passover, it was one of three feasts you'd go to Jerusalem for as a family. And you would typically travel with your neighbors and your friends. There's probably a group of, you know, and I'm, this is total speculation, dozens, dozens of people. We're, we're going to leave Nazareth and we're going to go to Jerusalem for the feast. And so, you're, you know, you got dozens of people and you're chit-chatting with the parents and the kids are, you know, they're scurrying about and they're throwing rocks and they're, they're looking at bugs and stuff on the way up and to Jerusalem. And, you know, you're just figuring the kids are looking out for each other. And if they're not with you, they're with some other set of parents. That's how it happened. It was easy to happen. They're on their way back to Nazareth, and they realize we don't have Jesus with us. They go back to the temple, and they still have to search for him. Three days later, they find him. You know, I'm thinking things like, what was he doing during those three? Who took him in for the three days? Who took him in and fed him and took care of him? And uh, and anyway, here they come upon him, and they find him sitting with the rabbis. And he's listening, and he's learning, and and he's saying things to them. And And they're amazed by his wisdom. He's 12. And Mary and Joseph finally find him. By the way, this is the last reference we have in the Bible to Joseph. He fades off the pages of the Bible at this point. And it is likely because he dies somewhere here. His death is unmentioned in the Bible, but this is the last time we have any reference to him. And, and Mary does what any mom would do. I mean, you know, she kind of gives him a, a, a little piece of her mind. She says, I've had enough. I've had just about enough. And great, I can do a little bit more then. But anyhow, so, so she says to him, you know, what, what, what do you think you've been doing here? What, you know, we've been searching. Why are you treating us like this? You know, your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Where have you been? You know, all this kind of thing. And he says, why should this surprise you? He said, you know, didn't, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And King James again says, I had to be about my father's business. Now, at the age of 12, when a boy was bar mitzvahed, He would take particular interest in his father's trade. And at this point on, typically a a young man at this point, you know, a boy is moving from adolescence into adulthood here, the 12 and 13 age for, for a Jewish boy. At this point, typically, he would take interest in his father's trade. He would learn his particular skill. He would learn what he does for a living. And he would follow in his father's footsteps. And Jesus says here, I have to be about my father's business. His father was God. It wasn't Joseph. Joseph was just his adoptive dad. And this is the first indication we have here, really, and the only indication that we have between when he's an infant and when he's 30, that Jesus becomes, and this is a great theological question that that we're not going to answer particularly tonight and really never, but at what point did Jesus become aware of his true identity? At what point? He, he, He knows it here. But, you know, he, he gives up. Again, he divests himself of his glory. He assumes limitations of humanity. So at what point is Jesus fully aware of who he is and what his mission is? We don't know. But he knows it here. And he's indicating to them, I have to be about my father's business. That's why I'm in the house of the Lord, because I have to be about my father's business. I'm here in my father's house. They didn't quite comprehend everything here. Um, Not that they were ignorant about his identity, but some of the things that Jesus is going to say here, they won't be the first ones to be perplexed about what what the depth of the meaning here. But nevertheless, Jesus is indicating here that he has an understanding of who he is. He, he, He knows what his work is and his identity is. And nevertheless, the chapter ends by saying he goes with his parents. He's going to honor and respect Joseph and Mary. He's going to be obedient to them, it says, and that he grew in wisdom and stature. He's growing spiritually and physically and in favor with God and 
with man. That he's, he's not only wanting to, to always be obedient to the Father, which he was completely, to God the Father, but he also wants to be in, in good favor with people. Not to be a people pleaser, but to always be that kind of an individual who looks for the way to make it into the hearts and lives of people and to find favor with them. So this is that introduction to Jesus, his birth, and here already he's 12 years old, and then there's going to be an 18-year gap between chapter 2 and chapter 3. We're so glad you joined us for this edition of Cornerstone Connection and that we were able to dig into the Gospel of Luke together. Did you know you could download our mobile app and take Cornerstone Connection with you anywhere you take your phone? That way you'll never miss a message from Pastor Gary's studies and you'll always have encouragement from God's Word at your fingertips. Find a link to download the app for your iPhone or Android device at our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. While you're there, you can also learn about the church behind this ministry. We'd love to meet you at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. We're meeting weekly in person and online, so please join us for worship and Bible study. You can find all the information you need to connect and get service times at our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We pray you've been blessed by this teaching today on the life of Jesus. Know that we're praying for you too. Is there anything specific we could lift up to the Lord? Let us know by emailing prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's all we have time for today, but join us next time to continue studying Luke right here on Cornerstone Connection. Oh!